up by the um lovely intro music we just uh we just went with uh, uh it, it's sad it's a sad day because uh the tennessee titans they kind of suck we and, suck again uh, it's not a i don't know it's, if it's, it's really fun. a kind of thing i think they just fucking suck yeah i usually like to use the word kind of when i'm trying to work in something that's going to be devastating like <laughs> sweetie we kind of need to break up <laughs> honey we kind of need to get rid of our son <laughs> i'm sorry well, this has gone off the rails gone. Oh, Mr. Lebowski here. I'm joined by Zach, as always. Um, Mike Herndon is to my left. We are without Keith today because we were kind of recording at an odd hour, so Keith can't join us, but it is the three of us. We've got more than enough hate and rage and sadness to carry us through the next hour. We appreciate you tuning in, as always. I'm going to break down what we're going to talk about, but I think you probably already know where we're going with this. We're going to discuss the Titans and their roller coaster. It continues. We lose to the Bills. Bad kicking, bad coaching, terrible O-line play. Uh, we'll talk about Taylor Lewan. him getting on Twitter and getting buck wild. He got after it harder on Twitter than he did on the field. Um, we'll go over a few other things. We're, we're, we're going to get into Titans fan base eating their own as usual. It's gotten a, a little uglier over the last week, especially about fans showing up or not showing up to the game. Delaney Walker, he's still frustrated. We're going to get into that a little bit. Somebody threw out a kind of an interesting uh, theory on the radio this week. I, I want to get into a little bit. We're going to preview Denver, which I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even want to preview the fucking game. <laughs> We're playing the Denver Broncos, and I don't know how it's going to go, but we'll get to that in a little while. Let's start with the roller coaster. What the fuck is wrong with the Tennessee Titans? I think it's easier to say what isn't wrong with the Tennessee uh, Titans, yeah, yeah. and that would be the... Most of the defense, because I still think we need a pass rush. But the, the defense and the punting, the yeah. defense and the punting, pretty good. Everything else, Let's, get fucked. I like I like the tone here. Let's start with the good, because once we get on the bad, I'm not going to be able to stop. So. Let's start with the good, which is the defense. <laughs> I kind of agree with you a little bit, Zach. I want to see more out of the pass rush, but I mean, overall, I am pretty damn pleased. Hey, Jeffrey defense. Simmons is coming back. That's yeah, a let's, good let's, let's talk about that for a little positive here. We're getting Simmons back like next week. Yeah, hopefully. We're, as we're long as everything works, you know, as yeah. far as his uh, stuff, which yeah, is everything... about what we what we estimated. So, and all score one for us. Yeah, all the people that. Uh, well, Simmons isn't going to play all year. There's no way he's going to play this year. Yeah, you're wrong. Sorry, yeah, they're 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 idiots. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to play like <laughs> he's going to play like ten weeks. So. If you if you did not if you threw out there on Twitter, if Jeffrey Simmons play, it was never. If, <laughs> I don't care what you think. It was always when Jeffrey Simmons plays this year. And and I know I've seen I've seen a lot of commentary about like oh they're rushing him back. This feels like a panic move. That kind of thing. Here's here's the thing. This has been the tone of them discussing his recovery from the very beginning, from yeah, the time he, they drafted him. It was him. close that he may not even go on IR at yes. the beginning of this year. I mean, we were at one point saying, oh, well, he could be back way sooner. During Even during the introductory press conference with Simmons and A.B. Armstrong and John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, they talked about Simmons and how far along in his recovery he already was then. That was like three months after the injury and the surgery, so... I think he's been ahead of schedule the entire time. People heal differently. Just because Jack Conklin took a little bit longer to come back and didn't look right when he did does not mean that's going to be the case for this guy. Now, it might. That might happen. But we saw Adrian Peterson come back after six months after an ACL tear and go off for, what, 2,000 yards or some right. crap. He's, you know, it's possible Simmons is on that level. We know that he's a pretty much a freak 
human being as far as athleticism, strength, stuff like that. It wouldn't be that surprising for him to be a quicker healer than most. And, and rushing back also with Jack Conklin also played into Jack Conklin also was on a pretty much a new offensive line, new offensive scheme, mm-hmm. didn't have the practice. Being, being a pass rushing defensive lineman isn't the same no. as being a right tackle in the NFL. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's like you don't have to be smart to do that, but it's a totally a different level and very – it's basically get to the quarterback as quick as you can or blow up the run play. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple to for a guy like him to just be able to immediately adjust. And let's not forget that Saquon Barkley is what? Barkey. Saquon Barkley. <laughs> is, Saquon is what? Three or four years ahead, or we? God dang! Three or four. Start the podcast. Three, three or four weeks ahead of schedule on his own end. I mean, yeah. he probably he will play next be, week. Yeah, week like twelve four to eight weeks, yeah. and it's going to end up being like two weeks. And that that's the same thing he did in college. Some guys are just like that. Like yeah. Saquon had the same injury in college, missed two weeks, and came back after that and was fine. So some guys heal differently. Also, the difference between Conklin and Simmons. Conklin plays right tackle. You don't really rotate offensive linemen very often. Obviously, we saw him do it with Corey Davis against Atlanta, or uh, Corey Davis, Nate Davis against Atlanta. We are really on our game today. Yeah, um, we we are inspired by the Titans' uh, level of play. So, uh, but anyways, so you don't really rotate offensive linemen. You can put Simmons in for ten to fifteen snaps and get him get his feet wet, get him playing a little bit. You don't have to worry as much about conditioning that kind of thing. Just play him, play him for what you can and see what you get. And if he's doing well, you play him more. And if he's not, you know, you scale him back. With Conklin, it was kind of like he's either in or he's out, you know, and especially because Dennis Kelly was out with uh, Ass Nile, uh, as yeah. we like to say at that point. So they were playing Tyler Merritt. So um, he kind of had to come in and play right away. Well, and, you know, let's move. Jeffrey Simmons coming back positive. Logan yes. Ryan had another really positive. pretty positive week yeah, um, he's awesome. on the game. I mean, Kevin Byard, he's yeah. awesome. The, the, the entire secondary is really good. Yeah. And I know Adoree Jackson continues to get some shit. We talked a little bit about him last week on the pod. I think he's still playing pretty well overall. Um, I think the whole secondary is good. I think the linebackers are really good. Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans are everywhere. Um, we're just kind of really lacking Jeffrey Simmons. I yeah. mean, uh, or what we but, hope Jeffrey Simmons to be. If you, you get Wake back, I think Wake and Landry are playing well enough that you feel pretty good about those two guys. You know, I, I don't know. Gilbert's okay. He had a sack in the game, which is encouraging. Um, but, you know, Wake, Simmons, or Wake, Landry, Simmons, Casey is a really, on paper, very formidable front that I think you could get excited about and could start to see them take over games at the line of scrimmage a little bit more, which would just turn this defense from like very, very, very good to elite. And Jeffrey Simmons coming back at the right time, especially if he comes back during the Chargers game, Marquise Pouncey is out. Yeah. Is it Mar- Mike or Marquise? I don't know. It's all right. It's, it's, a one, it's one of the Pounceys. It's one of the Pounceys. The it's, one that's on the L.A. Chargers. West Coast Pouncey. Yeah. Wasn't that the name of one of the cats in Game of Thrones? Sir Pounce? <laughs> Sir Pounce. Pounce? Pouncey Man? <laughs> Pounce Pounce? What cat? The, yeah. Uh, Joffrey. Game of Thrones? Joffrey's no, cat. Oh. Tomlin. Tom, yeah, Tommen. Before he threw himself Tomlin. out a window. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah. Wait, was it... Were those cats Joffrey's and then he gave them to Tommen after he died? Spoiler alert. Sorry. Gives <laughs> <laughs> a fuck. Let's you watch the show, but I don't know yeah. what to tell Let's you. get into it. Yeah. Um, no. I don't so, know. So... Speaking of throwing ourselves out windows, um, 
I do want to say punting continues to be phenomenal. MVP. Yeah. MVP. Brett, MVP punter. Brett Kern being being wasted on this team. <laughs> He's absolutely being wasted on this it's team. It's just so funny that we're sitting here complaining or saying that a punter is being wasted. By He's being team. wasted. He straight up is. is. But that's how bad that, that's the state of this team. Yes. So, <laughs> let me give a, a big fuck you to the NFL for giving Jamie Gillen or whatever his name is, oh, the Scottish yeah. Hammer, a uh, AFC Special Teams Player of the Month for September. That's bullshit. Yeah. Total bullshit. And the only reason he got it because he's A, on the Browns, and B, has a cute nickname and long hair. The get NFL the, forget, get fucked. The NFL forgets we exist. We're like the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> and, like if I have to go through and, and, and list all the NBA teams, the Sacramento Kings, I would leave <laughs> off every time. But <laughs> let's talk about the bad because there's quite a bit of it. Um, as usual, I, I believe we said this on the podcast last week that since the Titans got a good win, they're going to turn right around and dump a game. And what did they do? Yep. And the Bills, to me, are turning into the Colts 2.0. The Titans just cannot seem to find a way to beat this team. I even tweeted out at some point during the game that I can't believe the NFL had the audacity to let CBS put in the tape from the 2018 Titans-Bills game because I'm literally <laughs> watching the same game again. Like, yeah. shit just started literally from the first snap. It mm-hmm. just started not going well. Now, the difference from last year is that while the Titans looked completely inept for 60 minutes, there was maybe one or two drives this game that the Titans, you're like, eh? what's so annoying about watching the Titans, especially play the Bills, is that there is no definitive point to which I can just turn that garbage off. Yeah. <laughs> like they're they, always, they, they string you along. Yes, yeah. It's close enough. Keith made a comment about how he came home. He was out of town this weekend. He came home. And he stayed up and watched the game till 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> because he didn't know anything about it. He purposely didn't check Slack or us going nuts about it on Twitter or anything. Came home in the dark, watched it till 2 a.m. <laughs> and he couldn't turn it off because he kept thinking maybe the Titans are going to get it together. I- I'm I'm just disgusted. First off, the O-line. What yeah. in God's holy name is wrong with this offensive I, I, line? I want to I want to say one thing before we get started because you're probably going to hear us talk about the O line, the penalties. You're going to hear us talk about a lot that is bad. One of those things may include Marcus, but don't don't trigger warning. Yeah, do not forget the first 20 minutes we're probably going to spend talking about how shitty the O line is, and that's all of a sudden think that we're totally saying. Well, we know the O line sucked, <laughs> but Marcus is the problem. The O line sucked. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, we- it, that's important because I've noticed when I tweet things out, and I've tweeted several things out th- today about the offensive line, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback all contributing to the sack issue, and people come underneath my tweet that that literally says those words and all, and describes how bad the offensive line's playing and that the offensive coordinator is not helping, and say. Hard to play quarterback when the offensive line doesn't give him any time. And I'm like, yes, that's why I said suspect offensive line play in the tweet. People do either don't read or they just see Mariota in a negative word and just go, oh, no, no. Yeah. I got I to respond. Yeah, so we're, we were talking about that before you got here, and Lebowski made a good point that it's it's Twitter, right? Yeah. It's Twitter, social media in general, but Twitter is like kind of the prominent, you're going to discuss sports, that kind of thing. Yeah. Twitter's the worst about it of you can post a paragraph and someone will respond to two words out of it. Mm-hmm. You're like, I literally typed that in the next sentence. <laughs> so I'm going to say this now, and I'll say it towards the end of the podcast. While Mariota, in my opinion, 
was the least how do I put least this? blameworthy least person. blameworthy person. And I agree for this loss. He was still part of the problem. Yeah. In a marriage, if you get drunk and don't pick your child up from preschool, that may not be the thing that ends your marriage, but it didn't fucking help. <laughs> so, yes, I am comparing Mariota's performance to getting drunk and leaving a child at school. Fair and, and, foul, and give a shit. I fully agree. I did not walk away from that game thinking... Marcus really lost us that game. No, and and there's very few times I can walk I can walk out of a game and say that in a loss. But there's the a lot of times where we win and I don't have to say it. But. Starting with the O line, yeah. the problem with failing that marriage is the O line showed up at home with two sorority girls and looked at the wife and said, <laughs> "Is this cool?" <laughs> so let's start with the fucking O line. What is going on? Well, and and this will probably eat into a little bit of our Lawan talk, which I'm kind of tired of talking about Lawan, but he just can't keep his fucking mouth shut. Um, or I guess his, his thumbs, his thumbs at bay. You got those active Twitter. Thumbs. Yeah. The, my problem, it, it, it's, it's obvious that Saffold and Lawan don't have chemistry and it was pretty obvious. And Lawan yeah. was not going to have technically the chances of Lawan having a great game first time back in this in this new offensive line setup wasn't going to be very high but he didn't have a to me I didn't think either of them had a good game at all Saffold obviously the worst but you know they want to blame it on lack of chemistry which this goes to two things in my opinion and the first thing is Taylor getting suspended cuz he's you know did did steroids, you know, did uh, illegal supplements he wasn't supposed to do, and he didn't test them before he took them. So that's his fault, and so he got suspended. But to me, the coaching, I know you have to get Kelly ready and everything, but the coaching kind of did a disservice on this too because they basically essentially punished Lawan by having him be strictly almost second team the whole preseason and offseason, and that's not helpful when we know that he's only gonna be gone for four games i'm not i don't know how you overcome that because you do have to get kelly the reps but it that's also kind of a non-helpful factor into this all i mean the the suspension really did kind of screw a lot of this up because it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation with the practice reps before in preseason because if you play lawan and saffold together trying to get them ready Okay, so you might get a little bit of chemistry going, but then you're going to put Kelly in there for the first four games. Saffold and him are going to have to get stuff worked out. So you're kind of hurting those first four, which you're already down, you know, your best offensive player, uh, arguably, for those games. And then once Luan comes back, they're going to have to get reacquainted anyways to some degree. So, I, you know, I don't really blame them for how they handled the preseason reps and all that, but... It, yeah, this Lawan and and Saffold are going to take some time, and it's understandable that they don't have perfect chemistry and perfect uh, communication on passing off stunts and stuff like that. The very first game that they get out there, it's going to take a little bit of time, and that sucks because we're now into the sixth game of this season. Titans are two and three, and the margin for error is gone. I mean, the margin for error is absolutely gone. They have to they have to figure it out, and they have to figure it out right now. But that's what, and I know it's beating a dead horse because there's literally nothing else to do, but that is why, that is one of the core reasons why I'm so, like, furious with Lawan mm-hmm. is that 
we're six games into the season and we've dumped two games to two division opponents. Mm-hmm. And, and, now, and, now, and now LaJuan is answering questions today saying, we're just going to have to get our timing down. Yeah, no shit. No shit you are. It would have been Starting great with to, game five. Would have been great to have been doing that in the preseason and then be ready to go week one. And for those who want to start jumping on, just like we talked about Mario, it's not all LaJuan's fault. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not all LaJuan's fault. There's plenty of other things that are not going wrong with this team. But the O-line not functioning is a serious, serious problem. And, and let me say this. This this excuse and that I've heard from various people that well the o, it's the O line's job to protect their ma- or to block their man and go get their man so it's not coaching's fault I, I'm not in on that and and I don't know the ins and outs of offensive line play I've never played offensive line except for in flag football and I've, ne- I've never <laughs> I've never I've never been coached by an offensive line coach but at some point we have to look at Keith Carter and say. Because uh, Frable's press conference just, and we'll get into it later, just fucking blew. It, it destroyed me. It was like it was like someone shit on me on <laughs> on Sunday, and then and then they came back and just decided to say, "Oh, I'm gonna shit on you and put a bullet in your head." Because that is a, a <laughs> that Vrabel that Vrabel press conference was just one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life at a Titan out of a Titan's mouth, and. He his thing is well, it's their job to go out there and block their man. Okay, well, who's coaching them and scheming them to block these people and to communicate with each other? Who's getting all these offensive linemen on the same page? Because that's to me, that's the coach's job. And this has been just for two years, kind of a train wreck, patchwork offensive line. And I understand there's injuries, and I understand that there's you know suspensions and stuff like that. But at some point, the coach is going to have to learn to coach these people in the limited amount of time that they have instead of just relying on this thing and just go out there and do it. I mean, that's kind of what I feel like they're saying. Just go out there and block your man. Well, and so that's what, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like one of the jokes we were making last year at the beginning of the season during preseason about the Colts was the Colts don't have a very good offensive line. They're going to get Andrew Luck killed, blah, 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 right? All of a sudden, the Colts have an offensive line that looks extremely competent and held up very, very well against Kansas City. I know Kansas City doesn't have the best defense, but held up very well. They've held up very well to this point in the season. The Colts being lucky and all that bullshit aside, how are other teams able to fix their O-line problems in one year and the Titans have this st- like systemic problem year after year after year I think we've been talking about the O line problems for three years. Well, and they take the they take an all pro offensive lineman, and he just looks like a clown. And now everybody wants to put Kelly at right guard oh, and move God. Conklin over to left yeah. guard, or take Nate Davis out and swap this and this, do that and bring that's back gonna Corey make, Levin. It's going to make things worse. I mean, <laughs> that's what people don't get. It's driving me nuts. They've they've got to so they've I think they've got the most talented five guys set right now. Yeah. So it's Luan, Saffold, Jones, Davis. There is no comb- combination out Let's, there unless you're going to get like a, a trading for a top flight center and, and, and let me, all that. Let me tell you this. Nobody is trying to trade away a top flight interior offensive lineman in the middle of the city <laughs> season. I mean, these, these other teams would like to win and not get their quarterbacks killed. So, yeah. you know, it's that's not realistic. So you're going to you you've got your most talented five. I, I think these are five guys that are talented enough to be a good offensive line. We saw last year the offensive line get significantly better as the season went on. Down the stretch, those last five games, 
Titans had one of the lowest sack rates allowed in the NFL and Derrick Henry went the fuck off. So that progression is what you need to see, but it needs to be much quicker because the Titans don't have the luxury of, oh, well, we can turn things on in week 10 and figure it out and go from there. It's got to be right now. Like, like, like what I said earlier, they're out of, they're out of runway. I mean, this is, this is it. They got to go. They, they got to start winning games right now if they're going to do anything. So I think you've got to let these guys work it out. I don't understand what's happening with Roger Saffold at all. The guy, I know people think he's a bum and why, why did we sign this guy and give him all this money? He was amazing in, in Los Angeles. I mean, he was legitimately, he was second team all pro in 2017 in 2018, he finished third among all offensive guards in the entire league in pass block win rate. It, it's not like he can't do this. He's allowed six sacks total over the final three years he was with the Rams. He's allowed five in five games. That That is absolutely insane that we've seen this happen, and I can't explain it, and I, I don't think it's Keith Carter's fault either, though, because Rodgers has a Roger Saffold is 31 years old. He's been in the league for 10 years. He should know proper technique for pass protection. It, there's nothing magic that Keith Carter can tell him that's going to make him be a bet, not get bull rushed back five yards. Saffold just needs to play better. And that's all there is to it. And, and yes, he needs to work out his chemistry with Lawan. And yes, Ben Jones looking to help the right guard has probably left him exposed more often than he was with the Rams. But you're getting paid $11 million to block your fucking guy. All right, let me ask this. I know I'm going out on a limb, but is it possible that not having any sort of leadership, like a, like a point man for leadership in the locker room who's a vocal person who's going to get in your face and start talking about when you're making mistakes, is that bleeding into people like Saffold? Is that bleeding into problems with the offense to where we're seeing baffling problems because – there's not another player in there to take accountability and get in somebody's face. And I get the feeling that the locker room attitude is very locker room attitude is very milk toast. Well, when there's so much that I know there's, we have a list of topics and we kind of want to go in order, but I, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to stick with our <laughs> no, agenda I, here, but it, it, I just got a tweet saying uh, Titans are fair weather fans. What's new? The Titans are a fair weather team. You're a mediocre team, a mediocre product, and and you have a mediocre quarterback. You have mediocre mediocrity pretty much all through that locker room of personality wise, not saying talent wise, but personality wise. A bunch of guys who just don't want to do it. Now Logan Ryan was apparently on the PK sh- was on a PK show. The midday he'll love that he'll cut that off. the The midday one eighty the other day and he says just because y'all don't uh, I don't air the grievances out in the media doesn't mean we're not doing something in the locker room. That's fine. But it, whatever you're doing in the locker room, whether you think that going to weddings and events and charities is a form of leadership and accountability, well, it's really not. You're just being a bud, but whatever people are doing in that locker room is not working. This locker room, just like we said a few weeks ago, there is something off about this locker room in, in, in compared to previous years. There's something off with this team. I even don't think the cycle is a thing anymore because I don't have faith that we're even going to win against Denver. 
I am I am so 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 low on this team after this Buffalo game and the comments coming from Roger Saffold, the comments coming from Taylor Lewan, the comments coming from various other players and coming from Mike Vrabel Depressor. I'm I'm so far out on this team and I was okay with a Wiz and Hunt, you know, years. I mean, because I thought that okay, Wiz can be something. Yeah, you know, Wiz can probably do it. We've seen him do it with the Cardinals. I I don't know what this team is. I am so out on it. And if people want to say that Titans fans are fair weather, you know what? They have every right to be fair weather because who should go spend money and spend three hundred something dollars per game for? That's probably just one person. Uh, and to go watch the shit that they put out all the time. Listen here, I, I just I just to hold... the detriment of my family. By the way, I know that you know Grable <laughs> has his family to worry about, yeah, which yeah. fucking shitty ass comment. <laughs> Here's I just talked I was just on uh Buck's pod uh six one five sessions with Buck Rising. Check it out. Um and I, I I gave him this. The last time the Titans had a offense that was ranked higher than fourteenth in scoring, I was in high school. I'm thirty four fucking years old. You're a man. I'm thirty four years Dodge old. Stratus. I was a senior in high school the last time they ranked above 14th 14th isn't good 14th is a sub playoff offense 12 teams make the playoffs the standard if you want to be a good football team you need to be a top 12 offense or better in my opinion offense is what drives this league at this point having a good defense is great you can win some games you can keep a lot of games close you're not going to bottom out but if you want to really excel at the highest levels I think it's been proven that you have to have a really good offense you have to be top 10 regularly the Titans haven't even come close to that in 15 years. 15, and they aren't going to do it this year either. They're already down to 24th after scoring 43 points in week one. So I'm, I, I want to run with that because one of the biggest complaints I've got that I want to go on about on this podcast was I'm very tired of listening to Titans fans call in to radio shows, tweet us, tweet in general, that fans who didn't show up to the game are part of the problem. Bills fans outnumbered us. I mean, my brother sent me pictures. It looked like 70% of the stadium was Bills fans. So, I I just want to clear the air. When you don't like a political person, what do people tell you? You don't like it, go vote. You don't like a movie or a TV show, you don't like it, turn it off. Or don't don't go buy it. If a new video game's coming out and people dump on you, why'd you buy it? You knew it was going to be shit. You know, vote with your dollars. Don't buy it, right? When people don't go to games, they're voting with their wallet. They don't go because they don't want to see the product on the field anymore. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm not a season ticket holder. For the last several years, I tossed around the idea about whether or not I should actually pick up season tickets. I have zero desire, zero desire to be a season ticket holder for this franchise. And I, I told this group, I don't know if we said it on mic last week, but I told this group I had no desire to go to the Bills game. None. Because I knew they were going to lose. Not a soothsayer. I'm not Nostradamus. I'm telling you, this is what the Titans do. Every time you expect them to pick up and win, they do not. So if you're going to get mad at your fellow fans because they sold their tickets to Bills fans, I'm going to say it loud and clear. If you've got the ability to sell your tickets to an opposing fan base and make money, get your fucking money. I, I, I'm with you. Because this team is this not point. producing a product on the field that's worth watching. I have been vehemently against selling tickets to f- opposing fans. I hate it. But we're to the point right now that 
fans that have these season tickets should sell them to the highest bidder because Titans fans aren't going to pay for these tickets. Now, here's what they'll say. Well, why don't you just give it to, ti- to Titans fans or donate it to Titans fans? Well, what good is that? Because if you donate it to somebody, they could just turn around and sell them too. Right. I mean, wh- where, where's the accountability factor? Here, here's my thing. Someone paid for those tickets, and this is where the Titans have got me because I would be totally against this. Someone paid for those tickets. If you can't go and you can't find one of your friends to go and you try to sell them and no Titans fans are bidding on them because you can put them up on a Titans-only Ticketmaster thing on on yeah. the, the uh, internet, then that that sounds like to me like no Titans fans want to go. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't. if Titans fans don't want to go watch the game, who's going to pay money to where you're making the money to make up for the PSL? It's like a, it doesn't make sense anymore. The, econo- the economic structure to where you can only sell to Titans fans is a disaster model. I mean, here, here's the thing. You know, I, I think part of this is always going to be Nashville. I mean, other cities, you know, if, I don't know. Who, who do we want to use as an example? Charlotte. Yeah. You know, Charlotte's a fine city. It's perfectly okay. But nobody's like, well, I've really got to go to Charlotte and check out Charlotte. Nashville is a hot city to visit. So opposing fan bases, especially Buffalo, places up north, stuff like that. Especially places they, where their own city just is a shithole of yeah, a town. I mean, Buffalo, let me say this. Buffalo is still a, a shithole. <laughs> so... I mean, it's natural that people are going to look at the schedule. I mean, if I looked at the schedule, I'd, I I look at the schedule and I'm like, oh, well, where would I want to visit? Not, you know, whatever. And then I'm just going to go buy tickets from any way I can get them. And a lot of times those guys will, you know, those those people will pay more because they're building a trip around the experience of going to a road game. That's going to be a problem here. It just is. It's going to be a problem even if the team is good, honestly. Well, I mean, if the Titans were... 12 and four had a really good offense. You're still going to see a bunch of opposing fans here. Cause people are going to get those tickets. There's going to be games that season ticket holders can't go to. Well, and there's, I mean, and, and here's the thing you could hear. Yes. You can hear the bills fans on the broadcast. I was at a no- noisy bar and it was the game on audio and I could still hear Titans fans being loud too. At the beginning of the game. Well, you know why Bills fans became so much louder? Because the Titans fucking sucked that game. <laughs> well, why are you going to cheer it's a so, shitty product? They, well, they soak and, all the yeah. energy out of the crowd when they come out, and they just don't do... I mean, they just make mistake after mistake yeah. after mistake. And at some point, you feel like an idiot getting up and screaming your head off when the result is you sit on your hands for another few plays because they just screwed up again. And, and what's worse? All these, all these things... Legit. What is worse? All these uh, um, seats that went to Bills fans that that season ticket holders sold. Is it worse to have those seats just remain empty because then I'd, we're not going to be on TV? I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd rather have them be <laughs> filled with uh, opposing fans. Than right. Empty. I, I mean, because then we're going to lose network coverage. Then we're going to be even more of a laughing stock. We're going to have to. You tar- don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to be the Jags tarping the upper deck. Look how bad tickets are right now. In that the uh, today the Titans threw out this thing. If you went to the Bills fan, you're going to get a discount for the next home game. I, I got an email. <laughs> I've gotten emails from Groupon where they're selling Titans. Tickets on Groupon, yeah, which is crazy. So this the one of the big comparisons I kept hearing this week on the radio and seeing it again on Twitter is that the the Preds organization does a really good job of blocking opposing fan bases to buy tickets and blah blah. Let, let me just stop that right there. 
The Predators were two games away from winning the Stanley Cup two years ago. The Predators have been the favorites to go to the Stanley Cup for three years in a row. They're the favorites again this year to make a run at the finals. The Predators are a championship quality team and are putting it on the ice. You can go down many avenues you want with that, but the Predators and their organization have gotten it together. Fan experience, right. product on, on the ice. Yeah. Now, the, well, I mean, everything about it, the whole thing, everybody here is a Preds fan. Everybody's proud to be a Preds fan. Nobody's really proud to be a Titans fan at this point because we've just been mediocre, and, it, and you're right. But the Preds have been, even when they were bad, they, they, I mean, back, I went to my first Preds game 2003, 2002. Yeah. Went to so my the, first those Preds game. First, like, first several years were just ugly. But they, but they still had their fans. But the, yeah. what it was was people from Michigan who moved down here to be at the GM plant were like, oh, we got a hockey team. I want to go be at that hockey team. It took the time for the Preds to get there. The, the, the Titans lost everybody. The, the or, this organization lost us probably around 2008 2009 and just destroyed everything with Jake Locker you know the uh, it started with the McNair getting locked out yes and, that's and Floyd Reese been overspending to try to chase that first Super Bowl appearance and then we had to trade away Justin McCarrens because we couldn't afford to pay him and then we had to get rid of uh then we had to let Eddie George walk and we had to let Steve we had to lock Steve McNair out of the building and watch McNair Samari Roll and Derek Mason three of your very best players go to the biggest rival of that team at the time in the Ravens and that I think is what disillusioned a lot of fans you sit there and you watch those three players who were legitimate superstars on that Titans team just go to your biggest rival that'd be like if uh if the Titans had Derek Henry uh, A.J. Brown and, I don't know, Rashawn Evans just go to the Colts next year because we ran out of money. Like, yeah, you'd be pretty disillusioned if that happened. And I think that's where it started, and they just have never got it back. So that's And, and that's kind of the point I want to make before we roll off of this for a second is I, I, I have sympathy for the fan who doesn't show up to the game. I have sympathy for the fans who are not going and am losing sympathy for the fans that are starting to chide and get on people about selling or giving away their tickets because I'm sorry, like Mike just said, for 15 years, this team has not taken the field and put an offense up that has been worth watching. We can go down avenues we have on this podcast about the fan experience at the game. You know our opinion on that, and, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, at some point. That's a whole nother discussion, but just the product that is on the field is not worth going to watch. I don't it care if it's not worth the money. I don't care if it's 70. I said this to Zach right before we started recording. I wouldn't have gone to that Bills game last Sunday if it was 72 degrees and sunny. I, I just did not want to say rain. It doesn't matter. I don't care what the weather was. I didn't want to go because I knew they were going to lose to the Bills. And they were going to lose in a boring fashion because yeah. it was a boring yeah, it's not team. Like, it's not like they go down 21 nothing to the end of the first, and you're like, I literally can go find something else I, to do. I, listen, I was very shocked. I went to Twilight Tavern. I put it out on a tweet, and it was filled with Titans fans, and they stayed through the whole game, which is very uncommon. Let me tell you how uncommon it is to find a sports bar downtown. I lived downtown for three years. Right in the heart of downtown on 3rd Avenue. I mean, I could walk to Hooters or Bailey's down there, wherever. I could walk there in three minutes. You you had to argue with people at Buffalo Billards, at 
Bailey's and all these sports bars to get the Titans game on audio because the Titans games are an embarrassment. They're because right. this is such a commuted, commuted, commuter city where of uh, transplants, a bunch yeah, of transplants, a yeah. hundred people move here a day, or there's like eighty something. A lot of those are already Titans are already NFL fans. They're not going to choose. Let me tell you this: if you're trying, if you're right now a f- NFL free agent and trying to choose an NFL team, and you stumbled on this podcast and you're listening right now, do not choose the Titans. <laughs> there, there's nothing for you here. There, there is there is nothing for you. We we are boring. We are a constant disappointment. We have one or two exciting games a year. Fan bases in total disarray. There's nothing for you. It's it, it's it, there, be a fan of someone else. That, we, that's another point I wanted to make about the Predators. The the parallel between the Predators and the Titans. The the boring, you know, grinded out defense, close game. You know, maybe we'll win it late on a play kind of style. Was the way that the Predators played early on. That was Barry Trotz. It, you know, it was dump and chase into the corners and play sound defense. It wasn't very exciting. It wasn't a whole lot of movement. And they hired Laviolette. He comes in. He plays a little bit more open, free-flowing system. You've got defensemen jump on, jumping up and joining the attack. And it's a way, you know, the Predators might be not be scoring a million goals, but it's a way more pleasant viewing experience to watch them nowadays. And, and, and let me tell you this. If you've never been to a hockey game and you don't know anything about hockey, my hockey knowledge is probably at, at 20%, okay? Like, I, I don't really know much <laughs> about hockey. But going to a game, even when Barry Trotz was coach and we weren't a strictly engaging offensive team, it was fun. Yeah. The And it's not just a fan experience. Watching hockey live, it, it's a trip when you're there, when you're watching the game. That's the problem is while, yeah, the, the fan experience is great and the Predators, watching their product was awesome. Regardless, watching a hockey game, it, to me, is one of the best things. Currently, it's the best sports experience live, I think. I, I, I just love it. It's constant action. It's constant excitement. You never know what's happening if you're not very knowledgeable. So you're just like, what what's going on? What's this? What's that? <laughs> when you go to a Titans game... And I've gone to plenty of away games for Titans games too. It's it's just you're lucky if if you're gonna get an exciting game out of these out of these Titans. So I wanna I wanna transition to coaching because I, I what I want to talk about is kind of a twofold thing. The coaching decisions made during the game, and to me, even more baffling and infuriating was Vrabel's attitude in his press conference yesterday. Was it yesterday or Monday? I'm literally losing track of this week. I think it was mon- Monday. I don't know. Anyways, oh. his, his press conference yeah, the day after the game. So, the the to me, the O-line problem is worrying. The way the quarterback plays is worrying. But honestly, one of my biggest fears that's coming along with this team is the coaching because the offensive structure based on – Art's game plan and then tied in with <laughs> I almost said malarkey <laughs> tied in with Vrabel's decisions during the game namely running out a kicker who was already 0 and 3 I just don't I don't I don't understand the choices that that Vrabel's making and it's also starting to really kind of I don't know it's making me question one of the big themes this week on sports radio was is Vrabel too much of a player's coach I think I heard that in the preseason and I laughed it off, but now I hear it and I kind of, I kind of understand the question because 
is he allowing, like, for instance, what was his whole thing about why he ran out Santos to kick? Because uh, Santos told him, oh, yeah, I can make it. Okay. That, so, <laughs> so his... And, 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 and to be fair to Vrabel, like he said, he says, you know, you just can't coach in hindsight. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Did you have a blindfold uh, on for the whole thing? I, I think I mean, everyone so gonna... in the stadium, including Santos, believed he was going to miss that kick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had zero confidence he was going to make it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to rep through missed kicks. I mean, like, I just, that's, that's where I want to go with this thing with Vrabel. After the second missed kick, you, you kind of know that, okay, this is, there's something, he's got the yips. Right. Well, I think, I think that first one, the first one was easily the best kick. Like that, that one, it started off, it kind of sliced there at the end and missed. It was close. It was a 50 yard attempt. I, I'm not going to kill him for missing that kick. I think that got in his head, though. I think as soon as he missed that one, he started getting kind of you know antsy about it. The second miss was terrible. It was probably his worst miss, and then of course the third one, I guess, got blocked. I, I could. Uh, you talking about the one that dropped in the end zone? Yes. No, it didn't get blocked. You need to go back and watch it. He the, just kicked the ball like shit. The, so like, I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't see, I didn't see a block either. I, I didn't see a block I, that look, game, I, and nobody in the in the bar yeah, said anything about it. I could be wrong. I rewatched that kick later that night, and I'm pretty sure it didn't get blocked. I haven't watched it since because I don't want to, but <laughs> but just like what? So, Vrabel goes from there, and then his presser on Monday was just. I know coaches look. <laughs> I think I could throw this stat out there to where if the coaches didn't have to do press conferences as mandated by the NFL. I think less than 10% of NFL coaches would do them. I don't think any of them would right, do them. Right, right. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised if one or two even did them. But that being said, it's a part of your job to go out there and answer questions. And the churlishness and the just very dismissive of any question to the point of getting defensive. I, I forgot who it was that asked the question about... Uh, Anyways, I forgot what the question was, but he basically said, you can do, really, that's your question? John Glennon John Glennon. You and can do better than And that. apparently that was a joke, but it didn't definitely did not come off like a joke. And I'm not here to de- defend John Glennon's honor or anything. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know John. I've met him like once or twice. And, I mean, he's a nice guy and everything, but. Yeah, know, the first shit. time I met him, somebody told me I wanted a body pillow of him. Yeah. So, there we go. <laughs> I mean, shit, shit happens. But, you know, the, that was probably the least offensive thing out of everything he talked about. I mean, I mean, I, I am, I have done <laughs> this, this season has just destroyed me. I've become a, an ardent Vrabel supporter. I still think that we could win a Super Bowl with Vrabel, but I am not entirely sure that when he is going to correct his mental mistakes and when he's going to take some accountability and when he's going to, what I, I'm just not sure about him. I I know we could win with him, but it may be to the point where I think we can win in in spite of him. If that makes sense, like I I don't know. I I've just my emotions about Vrabel have become so conflicted over the last two games, and it's just oh for sure yeah it's it's if completely different from what I felt heading into the season. Well, in in a matter of games, and and last two games was a win and a loss, so it's not just because we lost. There's concerning things that have been popping up their head ever since the first win with the Browns. Well, so it's not just win loss. So Vrabel's dismissiveness about using analytics. Vrabel's dismissiveness and, uh, you know, well, Santos told me he thought he could make it. And then 
the little comment you made at the end, which I know I'm making a bigger deal out of than I probably should of, you know, I'm, I'm showing up every day and I'm coaching to the detriment of my family. Okay. Well, dude, there's literally the rest of the stadium that, that showed up to that game. The people I do feel sorry for that showed up to the game is the, what I tweeted was the family of four that literally like probably couldn't afford to go to that game, but decided, Hey, be a cool treat. Take the kids. Let's go to the game. And they watch that. Well, and let's not forget that there's probably roughly 300 coaches and assistants in the NFL who are all doing and putting in the same hours as he is. I mean, you're you're not some martyr. You're not the only person. And it's not about working longer. It's about working better. There's a scene in the show Mad Men, which Zach loves Mad Men. It's a stupid um, show. <laughs> where Peggy looks at Don Draper and she gets upset and she starts crying and she says, whenever I do a good job, you don't ever say thank you. And he looks at her and screams, that's what the money is for. And I fucking love that line. And that's what I want to yell at Vrabel when he says shit like that. You're doing this for the detriment of this of, of, of your family? That's what the money is for. That's why you agreed to be a head coach. You know going into this, you're going to be with your family. I'm sorry, but I don't want to hear that shit. Because the product that you are coaching on the field sucks hot ass. And the decisions <laughs> that you are making in-game suck hot ass. So, I'm sorry, Mike. Please go. I, I, need, a, I need a break. <laughs> The, the in-game decision-making is very concerning, and I think more so, like, what you touched on is the dismissiveness of analytics, and, you know, I, I get that analytics can't be the be-all, end-all of in-game decision-making, but I think if you look at some of the teams that have taken it and done well with it, the Eagles, the Colts, the Ravens, it, it helps. It helps them win football games because they are consistent with it, they're confident with it, they, they know going into certain plays that, hey, we're going for it on fourth down if we can get it to fourth and one and fourth and, or fourth and two. And that changes what you can call on third down. If you look at some of the statistics, the Ravens and the Colts in particular, and it's not a coincidence that those are the two teams that have gone for it on fourth down the most often this season. Those two teams also lead the, the league in number of run calls on third down. So those two teams are not afraid to run the ball on third down. The success rate for runs on third down is actually way higher than passes. So as long as you're within, you know, five or six yards, if third and five, third and six or less, a run call is way more efficient than a pass call on third down. You, you've taken out the risk of the sack. A lot of times the defense is more worried about the pass in those kind of situations. So there may be a little bit more softness in the line for you to take advantage of. If you know you, if you get four on third and five, you're going to go for it and, and have like a 70% chance of getting it, which is about what a fourth and one conversion rate is. That That's available to you now. That's a totally different deal. And maybe all these sacks that Mariota gets on third down, which, you know, I, I'd, I'm i going to go back and chart all of the sacks this week as part of the all 22. So Why? I, it, I'm a ma- I am a, <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, the, the I mean that at all. Biggest, <laughs> the world's biggest masochist, honestly. But uh, Put that cigarette out on my chest again as I watch these sack films. Drip some candle wax down my back. Um, but, no, play that clip of Brable talking about analytics again while I yes, do these sack please. films. But it, that kind of stuff matters, and a lot, a lot of the sacks have come on third downs, and it's because the the defense has no fear of the run. They have zero fear of the run. They're pinning their ears back. They're coming from the snap. And it makes it hard on the offensive line. And it makes it really hard on the offensive line when you've got a quarterback who doesn't really like to throw into tight windows and wants to hold the ball and wait for somebody to come wide open. So it, it's a compounding effect again. And if you can open up a run call on third and four and get it to fourth and one and say, hey, we're going to go for it, 
that that is more that's a higher success rate than trying to throw the ball. So I, I just I wish they would embrace that aspect of things like the Colts, like the Ravens, like the Eagles have done because it gives you an edge. Is it going to mean that you're automatically going to win all your games? Absolutely not. But it you've got to in the NFL. It increases your chances of winning games. Yeah, and, and it might just be a 1% chance. But in the NFL where parity is such a wide, I mean, anybody can beat anybody almost any given week. I mean, there's some exceptions. Dolphins aren't going to beat the Patriots. Could beat the but, Redskins. <laughs> yeah, they might beat the Redskins. But uh, it's, it's most weeks, teams are very close. That's the way the NFL's designed. In those little bitty edges, those little bitty margins that you can pick up by using analytics, by having people on staff that are trying to find those edges is critical to success if you i mean nine and seven or ten and six that that's made the difference what? in the playoffs two straight years or two out of the last three years why would you I mean, not try one, one game i mean in yeah. your in your line of work zach in your line of work in my line of work demographics and statistics are everything yeah yes. the more data you have and, the better decisions you can make and Absolutely. i'm sorry to make this comparison but i mean at the end of the day you're on the field making a business decision why would you not want extra data to help that Chick-fil-A doesn't run out a new promo because they're fucking bored. They run it out because they know the demographic. They know the customer base they're trying to get in there. And you can go down a laundry list of shit to do that. I don't understand why you wouldn't try it. It's like card counting in playing blackjack. Once casinos got wind to the fact that guys were learning how to card count, they started throwing them out. You know why? Because they found a statistical way to make money. Yeah, and it was a narrow, it's a sure. narrow edge, but that edge matters. Why would over you not take that edge? This is what drives me nuts about him dismissing that question. This is not full on analytics, but it's an example. I remember, and I was scrambling to look for it, and I couldn't find it. I had a Sports Illustrated from like 2002 RIP, by the way, because they're getting ready to go <laughs> oh, yeah. tits up. But yeah. um, I had an article from Sports Illustrated from like 2002 where Jeff Fisher had gone for it in the previous weeks or two weeks before that game on fourth and whatever and made it. And uh, I think they scored a touchdown on that play. Sports Illustrated posted the chart that he had that he kept on it along with his play calling chart that was, if the score is X, mm -hmm. you go for it on Y and all this kind of thing. And you go down through that. This was 2002. This is not something new. This is something that coaches have been using intermittently. Just that chart, for example, for quite a while. This is just expounding upon that to a very like minute manner in plays you want to call in certain situations, certain situations you want to go for it, what you should do on third. It's the data's there. Why would you not try to explore that? Look. Well, and, and let me say this 40, this is the most through week f after week five is over. And I posted this up 42 games have been decided by seven points or less. Most of our games are really tight games. Yeah. Most of our games with better coaching decisions may have turned out differently. It's not a complete <laughs> given, but when you're that close, like Mike was saying, analytics, what if if it does not hurt you, yeah, why are you not using it's, it? It's not subject to the salary cap. So you could build out the biggest analytics department you wanted to, and it doesn't affect it. There's no downside to it besides the salaries that you're paying these people. So these the nfl is a billion what dollar what nine billion dollar industry um that the money that they're bringing in and the money that you would make if you were able to cross that threshold from a nine and seven team that just misses the playoffs every year and is middling 
to a team that goes 10 and six or 11 and five every year and is in the playoffs and relevant and maybe makes a run, you would make that money back very quickly. So I, I don't understand. And, and the Titans, you know, I've, I've been curious about this for a while and I don't know from what I understand the Titans don't really have like a full, full in-house analytics staff. I've, I've looked on their website as far as their published personnel. Cause they, they list out everybody that works for the team. And there's nobody really with analytics or quantitative analysis in their name. They've got like, you know, some people that are in it and things like that, but those are really, I mean, legitimately like it people, not football, you know, quant people. So if you look at the Titans, they have a football operation staff that I think has four people in it. The Eagles have a football operation operation staff that has 28 people in it and includes four dedicated quantitative analysis, analysis personnel, people that are, <laughs> running numbers and building these models. I fucking hate this team. And, and I mean, I just hate this. I just hate it. The Eagles are trying it's so to find... It's and, and, and not only do they have their own in-house people, but they've hired a company called Edge Sports, and I interviewed them last year um, for Music City Miracles, talk, that runs analysis and helps them during the week. So they help their, their staff, and I don't believe the Titans are working with Edge. Um, I don't believe the Titans are working with anybody from an analytics standpoint. I could be wrong. They could be working with somebody and just not telling anyone, but it sure sounds to me from Vrabel's answer that the analytics quote unquote group is some scouts that have some dead time between scouting trips and run some numbers for them. And that's unacceptable. Well, I think Yikes. someone said that the stretch guy is yeah. is the analytics guy, the but guy that goes does, and gets the coffee for variable and does so packages. Much shit. And, yeah, it's hey. not a. It, this is a full time job <laughs> for multiple people. If you're doing it right, I, I don't. I don't get. I've never understood why coaches or football teams or whatever are so apprehensive to something that helps you. If it helps you, and it's then why not spend the money to get it? Why? Uh, but don't but don't we have a theme here? Yeah. Don't don't we? Because what did I just finish going off about? Fan experience at the yeah. stadium. I didn't want to get into it. This organization has spent two decades cheaping the fuck out on that stadium players. Yes, we have spent some money in the last few years on players. It, it took pulling teeth to get it done. So, who's not spending money on the analytics person? It is is okay. Our coach is asking for it and ownership's not doing it. Do we have an incompetent GM? Like that's this to me is this underlying current of this is why I constantly have this bad feeling about this, uh, about this organization, because I ultimately feel that I think, I just think ownership doesn't want to spend money on this team. I also think, and I think we cheap out on shit like the I, analytics. I, I, I don't think, know if it's an ownership yeah. thing or if it's a John Robinson doesn't see the value in it. I'm I'm kind of wondering about the and okay. I I'm wondering about the relationship between J Rob and Vrabel because the way that the press conference ended with Vrabel and Santos was about Santos was like okay we only have one kicker Santos is the guy we really aren't planning to bring anybody in. And then he goes and meets with J Rob. They're bringing people in, and he's fired Santos before we even signed a kicker. <laughs> Some something about those two lately. I I don't know, man. I, I get this feeling that they're not on the same page. And you know, going back to the offensive coordinator and forcing Lafleur, and then all this stuff. Something about all these little things that I kind of was dismissive about at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the last two seasons. Something's a little off here. 
and and maybe it's 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 minor, but something's a little off here. And, and I will say, I, I think John Robinson's done a really good job improving the overall talent of this team. This this team was starting Antonio Andrews and Jeremiah Patasi when he got here. So we are light years away from that from a talent standpoint. And and he's done a great job building a, a championship caliber defense. And the special teams have gotten a lot better with the exception of uh, obviously the replacement kind of scab kicker. Um, but a lot of his answers and I I've dismissed it as just, Oh, he's just saying things. He's, you know, this is just what he's saying. A lot of his answers to questions come across a little, you know, well, we want to be three cart three yards in a cloud of dust football. We want to be physical. We want to run the ball. We want to control the clock, all the old school shit that, has been basically proven to not really work um, in the NFL in 2019. A lot of that stuff is what he says. And I don't know if it's him not wanting to give lip service to what they actually want to do and, or if he feels like he's going to be putting his coach or Mariota in a tough spot if he comes out and says, yeah, we want to throw the ball and be aggressive and have success in the passing game. And then they don't do that if, that's, if he thinks that's going to make him look bad. I, I don't know what that is, but I – I'm a little bit queasy about the whole direction of this era at this moment, because if this is what they want to be and they want to be a, well, we're going to run the ball. We're going to keep it close into the fourth quarter and then just try to win the game. You're going to be eight and eight or nine, seven. Every right. Year. Like that, that's the, that's it, the best it, like case It scenario. ultimately feels like the rest of the league is leaving us behind. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. Except for, you know, the only people that not getting left by are the, teams that are obviously way worse off than we are sure. as far as talent on the roster. There's a lot of these teams like that are maybe talentless on the roster that are at least trying to be still a modern NFL offense, still a pass-heavy offense, and some of that's game plan from them following behind. But you go and look at the Dolphins. I watched the Dolphins-Dallas game, and Josh Rosen came out and was throwing the ball. He had a lot of drops that game and a lot of missed opportunities on the receivers, but they weren't scared to come out and and go go nuts and kind of leave their running game behind. And yeah, they're zero and five, and nobody should want to be in kind of like an zero and five team. And it's not about being that team; it's about being a different offense. It's about being an exciting offense with a new philosophy because it's about scoring points. Yeah. I mean, that's what it all boils down to scoring points. Yeah. And the, I, okay. Throw out the stat line. Well, Marcus is seven touchdowns and zero, you know, interceptions. Okay. Well, his yardage sucks. His completion percentage is not that great. And then you got Russell Wilson out here with zero interceptions, 12 touchdowns and a run first offense. And here's, here's my problem. Mario to people, close your ears. Um, <laughs> I have two two issues with Mariota right now. And, and the first one is, and we've been talking about it in our um, group thread all week, Mariota turns pressures into sacks at a rate that is higher than any quarterback in the NFL right now. And he's done it for two years in a row. He led the league in percentage of pressures turned into sacks in 2018, and he's leading it easily again in 2019. And he did it in 2015, too. Yes, and in 2015. So that's three of his five NFL seasons. He has led the league in the statistic. That's not good. Other quarterbacks are seeing pressure at higher rates and getting rid of the ball. They're throwing, throwing the ball, making plays. Mariota is taking sacks. Mariota is not an elusive quarterback in the pocket. He does not have good pocket presence. He doesn't do a good job of avoiding the rush consistently. Yes, he will do it every now and again, but he does not do it at the rate that other quarterbacks do. 
and the statistics back that up. And, and he's not even getting pressured as much as some of these quarterbacks yeah, are that are being successful. He's being pressured at a very league average rate um, yeah. right now, which is, you know, yes, some of the pressures have come very fast and he has not been able to avoid the sacks. And, and yes, the offensive line needs to play better. So that is an issue. There are two, there, there are multiple issues with this offense, but one of the big ones is the fact that the quarterback does not get rid of the ball. And when he sees pressure coming, he folds up like, you know, an Eli Manning or, uh, you know, Tom Brady that are is trying to protect themselves. But the problem is he doesn't produce like those guys do in the in the passing game. So you're taking a ton of sacks. You're putting teams in. you're putting the team in bad down and distance. You know, the penalties, a penalty is a basically a drive killer for this team at this point, because you aren't getting once you get out of down and distance for play action, which Mariota is very good in play action. He's got, I think, the best yards per attempt in the league in play action so far. Um, that is a shining bright spot for the offense is is the play action game. But you can only run play action if you are in a credible run situation. The second you get into second and 20 or third and 11 play actions out the window, you, I mean, you could run it. But all you're doing is giving the, the pass rush more time to get to them. So. They have to stay ahead of down and distance, and they're making too many mistakes. And the fact that they have to play that way with Mariota means that you're always going to be walking that fine line of one or two mistakes can completely derail the offense. There is no, he doesn't erase any mistakes. And yes, they aren't, if everyone played perfectly around him, he would probably do pretty well as a quarterback, but that's not going to happen. The NFL is an imperfect league. You're always going to have pressures. You're always. Offensive linemen are going to get beat because the defensive line gets paid too. So you've got to have a quarterback that makes plays in situations where other guys aren't doing their job. You know, the quarterback is the ultimate eraser, in my opinion, for mistakes. So we're not seeing enough of that to make up for, you know, what he's doing with the sacks. I mean, well, I, and, and then it goes back to what everybody dismissed as, well, these are a bunch of people who don't watch film. Was the was the article on the Athletic about the fifty five GM and head coaches yeah. that got surveyed, and he was a tier eight or whatever he was, and they all said you put a quarterback spy on him and dare him to pass. He should be one of the best dual threat quarterbacks, but really, he his passing game is hampering everything else because nobody's afraid of him. He's he's perfectly fine when you put him in a defined read and let him read one thing and let it rip. And this is not who he was earlier in his career, but he's completely lost the handle on being able to make full field reads. I mean, he'll do it every now and then now, but it is rare. That broken leg changed his whole career. I think so. And it, it, something about he just never recovered because even in 2017, when people want to blame the offensive line not protecting him and blah, blah, blah. They were still a really good offensive line compared to other people. I mean, they didn't allow a lot of pressures. They weren't allowing a lot of dropbacks being pressured, a lot, not a lot of sacks. I mean, it was pretty comparable to the 2016 in far, as far as pressures go are concerned. I mean, so that it's not that. At this that point, and then they want to say it's the offense, well, we're getting a – technically, we have had the last two – different offenses than the exotic smash mouth that everybody hated. And he's still the same. There's just at some point you just, and I know we talk about this all the time. And once again, we are not blaming Marcus for the bills game. Yeah. The bill, he, he was mostly fine against yeah. the bills. And, but at some point you do have to look at this team. If not, everything is going right for Marcus. 
he is not going to get you the win. Yeah. And, and and I think where I was originally going with that, I got kind of sidetracked by the the pressure stuff, but I think the one hope that I can still hold out for the I guess this whole era with the John Robinson and Mike Vrabel tandem cuz they you know, I think they are tied together at this point is that they just don't have the faith in Mariota to open up the passing game. That, that This isn't necessarily the way they want to play offense, but this is the way they feel like they have to play offense because of Mariota. And, I mean, yes, that's if that's true, that's sad for Mariota, and I, I hate that, but I think that that almost makes me that, – that almost is the most optimistic way I can look at this thing because if this is the way that they want to play offense, I don't think they're going to be – successful long-term almost regardless of who you get at quarterback unless you do get like a Russell Wilson but it maybe maybe it is there is hope that all right they feel like Mario is a limited guy at this point in his career and they're, they're giving him another chance in you know if things continue to go this way they bring in someone else and we see a totally different looking offense next year that that is you know almost my hope at this point because I can't keep watching an offense that just wants to get to third and manageable and, and hope somebody makes a play on third down. I, I can't keep doing it. I'm with you. I am. I mean, I'm just, it's I'm, depressing. I am so fed up with this team. Like I'm, I planned a weeks in advance, probably at the beginning of the year to go to Denver on my way to California, just stop off at Denver to watch the game. I was like, okay, it, it will be fine. I'll spend a little bit extra money, get a hotel and just fly into Denver a day early before I have to be in California and just, you know, fly right back. Uh, I, I'm stuck with the airline ticket, stuck with the <laughs> hotel room. Okay, that's fine. Denver's fun. I'm so glad to not buy a ticket because unless ticket prices drop dramatically, I'll probably not go to the game. I'll probably just go to a sports bar and just hang out and watch the game because it's at least it's a little bit more enjoyable, I guess, to watch them on TV rather than, you know, be surrounded by Denver Broncos fans making fun of us, you oh, know, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Because Everybody wants to look at Denver's record and think they're a bad team because Joe Flacco is behind center. They're they're not a bad. They're an unlucky football team. Yeah. They're, they're not a good team, they're, but they're not terrible. Yeah, either. they're not. They're probably they're not the, the Falcons. They're the best one in four team probably of the last few years. I mean, besides maybe the Colts, I guess last yeah. year. But I, I think that I really do think we we are gonna lose. I I, I, I don't have faith. I mean, I I mean at this point. I'm done predicting the Titans because I have no clue. I have no clue what team's going to show up. You never know. I mean, it's possible they come out, they don't get called for the, you know, the offensive holdings. And that was another thing that just destroyed them in this game was the holding penalties and the false starts and the stupid offense, the stupid offensive penalties that weren't necessary in this game destroyed a lot of the offense. And Mario does not at fault for any of that, but I, I, you just don't know what's going to show up. I mean, I don't know. They might come out and win by 30. I, they might. Or they might come out and, you know, totally shit the bed well, and score three points. They got that elevation over there and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I just, I don't know. I I don't have, when this started, I thought 11-5-10-6 was going to be this team. I, I thought if we got if we got out 2-2, two and two, we should be okay. And I really thought that this team was going to be something drastically what they put on the field. And now I'm thinking six and ten and five and eleven instead of ten and six and eleven and five. And it's 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 got me fucked. I'm all fucked up in the head. 
I mean, I it's, am. It's t- it, the the hard thing is if you lose this game, I think it's over. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. You're, you've got to you've almost got to get to ten and six to make the playoffs. I I don't see any way that you're going to make it. And the bill because the Bills now that you lost the game, the Bills, the Bills have the if I'm not mistaken, the easiest or one of the three yeah. easiest oh, yeah. schedules the rest and, of the way. And there are essentially three games ahead of the Titans yeah. already. So, you know. You're gonna. You think this team is gonna go eight and two down the stretch with games remaining at Indy, where they never win, at Houston, where they never win, against the Chiefs and against the Drew Brees, a healthy Drew. Oh, Brees someone, Saints. someone today told me that uh, we match up well with the Chiefs. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The, the Chiefs. The Chiefs have scored fewer than twenty six points exactly once in yeah. Patrick Mahomes' career. The Titans. <laughs> I, I I don't even want to look up how many times the Titans have scored twenty six points in the last two years. I mean, it's probably maybe what five, five? times I can yeah. I can think of. Uh, and, and 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 let me say this: just because that Derek Derek Henry's a running back and uh, you can run on the Chiefs doesn't mean that they're not going to game plan for Derek Henry and try to limit you. Yeah, because they're not afraid of our passing attack. There is yeah. nothing. There is nothing to be afraid of. There really isn't. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when someone told me that. I said, do you, I said, do you still think Alex Smith is playing for them? I mean, give me a break. I mean, maybe if Mahomes' ankle is still fucked up by <laughs> yeah. uh, week 10 or whenever we play Because uh, don't forget, Tyreek Hill's coming back. Yeah, he's so, coming back, too. You know, yeah. He's going to beat us like one of his children. <laughs> God. Uh, I was going to talk about Lawad, but I don't even know that I want to. <laughs> Nothing can good from coming from us at this point talking about Lawan. Yeah. And he needs to shut the hell up. Yeah, exactly. That's what it I'll leave down it this. To. If you haven't gotten into what Lawan's been up to for the last forty-eight hours, just get on Twitter. Uh, he's an idiot, and it's, he it's just needs stop. to shut up and play football. Yeah, I mean, it's got to stop because well, I mean, um, he got murdered. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we uh, we essentially previewed the Denver game, so. <laughs> um, God, I'm like you, Zach. I'm just down on this team. Very, I, I, very I haven't man. been this down on this team. I mean, I would say probably there's uh, a stretch in the Munchak era where we went seven and nine, but it was just like run Chris Johnson up the middle yeah. and he crumbles. Run Chris Johnson up the middle and then he decides he's going to lose five yards trying to dance around. Like that was some depressing times. This is the most depressed I probably have ever felt, and we're and we're just a two and three team. But I feel like we are zero and five. That, that's the thing that I don't think this Titans team is that bad. I like I, I don't think they're a terrible football team. I just think it's infuriating that it is. It looks almost identical to last year from for the most part, and that's frustrating because last year it was like, all right, well, you know, there's reason to believe in a few things, and then we yeah. added these guys, and this is better, and. And some of it is better. I mean, AJ Brown has been awesome. I, I, you know, I think, you know, Adam Humphreys has helped a little bit. I mean, he's better than Tajay Sharp in the slot, at least. I mean, there's been some, some help. All the improvements that we made in the offseason, including the draft and including the free agency, this team should look so much better week in and week out. And, And there's only one constant in all of that. The offense sucks. The offense sucks. Marcus sucks, and this offensive line is continuing where it laid off last year. I mean, to me, it looks really no different than last year, except for it's gotten worse, and it got worse with the addition with LeBron, which makes no fucking sense. <laughs> like That was the first thing on my mouth after the first quarter. I'm looking at this team, and I go, but LeBron's in there. Why do we look so much worse? If, if, you, want, if you want to have some hope. No, no, 
You want to let's let's end no, it on a high I'm note. Not, let's I'm end no, it on a high note. No, this is you this. take your hope merchant stick out of here. I tried that. I tried that last week to be hope end, merchant. End on some hope. Yeah. There, if the offensive line improves with some continuity and getting people back in place, getting a little bit of chemistry going, and you can get the run game going and keep the offense on schedule, I think you could see them put together a little bit of a run and and maybe contend for a playoff spot. But it's got to happen like right now. Okay, it let me. Can't, you mean like be, last year we contended for a playoff spot? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let basically. Me, yeah. Let me, let me ask you this: I mean, I, How I many be happy games going into the final week having a chance at this point? No matter how they win, and and you may want to say, well, it does matter how they win. But if they won three three games in a row, starting with Denver, yeah, would you buy in back into this team? How I mean, how many that, games would it take for you to buy in? I this mean, three team? wins in a row, you're what five, five and, and three? Yeah, five and three. I would probably buy back in. I mean, because at that point, you know, obviously you'd like to see the offense show some signs yeah. of life and maybe some consistency. But if if you won three games, I would assume that you at least had something going offensively. Um, and then maybe you get Jeffrey Simmons back and maybe the defense goes up to another level. There, There's some reason for hope. But things have to get fixed on offense right now. How how many games would it take for you to buy back in? Super how many Bowl. wins? Super Bowl? <laughs> you have to win all the <laughs> no, way Super Bowl. I, I'm with Mike. I, I would, sure, I would buy back in if they won three in a row. And then on the fourth game after they win three in a row and they utterly shit the bed, are you for, for real just done with this season? Well, the fourth game would be the Chiefs, right? Yeah, I so think so. I don't, I, I'd, I'd probably ride it through the bye but week. But they match up the pretty side. well with the Chiefs, Fuck I'm that. told. Fuck that. Nobody matches up good with the Chiefs, <laughs> be honest. The Colts played good against them, but they had a hobbled quarterback yeah. running around back there. Come on. Nobody matches up good. All right, I can't talk about this team anymore. Yeah, let's just end it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, football and other efforts. We really appreciate you tuning in. I hope this has been uplifting and, yeah. and glorious. Yeah. Get you fired up. You can find us in all the usual places, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Pod. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Miracles. Unless you start talking shit immediately in which he will block you. The block, the block button, the block button is, is really wide open right now. It is wide open. For Mr. Lebowski, Michael Hurden, and Zach Lyons, you've just been out. Been up by the Titans for the last 15 years. My butthole's sore. <laughs> well, that's enough. <laughs>